talking about the things that make your home service business go. Marketing, finance, systems, people. This is the Fight Club for Business podcast. Makes me that much stronger. Makes me work a little bit harder. Makes me that much wiser. Thanks for making me wider. Well, welcome back to Fight Club, everyone. Happy Tuesday. I'm excited to be here with you in this awesome panel of wonderful people. So as you all know, we are a group of industry-employed self-experts, and we're covering four areas of your business for small business owners. We've got marketing, operations, employee management, and money. And we have our special guest with us today, Mike Callahan, and he is here to help us cover all four of these areas. So we're really excited to start this weekly discussion with you, and we'll just go around briefly and introduce ourselves. So my name is Taylor Maroney, and I have been in marketing for about five years now. And I also co-own a pressure washing company with my husband down here in South Florida. And I'm excited to say welcome back to Fight Club. So let Mike kind of introduce himself here real quick. All right. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate uh, you ladies having me on here. Apparently this Fight Club we can talk about. So I'm excited to uh, dive in and actually spread the word here on Fight Club. But um, background is about 25 years in the lawn and landscape and snow removal industry in upstate New York. Um, and ended up uh, exiting that business. We were acquired about two years ago and started a secondary business uh, alongside my lawn care business called Simple Growth. And uh, kind of my mission from that point on was to help other small business owners or service business owners take their life back from their business. And uh, that business I had built originally uh, up through high school and then five years of college um, and unintentionally built this business around myself uh, is the own, own, basically the only single point of failure. So if I left for a day or two at a time, the business would have fell apart. Uh, long story short, that business ended up causing a divorce. And then it was a, a turning point, whether it was get rid of the business or fix it. Um, and obviously we took the path of fixing it. And uh, we started to automate and create systems around automations, marketing, finance, and a lot of stuff we're going to be talking about today. Awesome. Uh, my name is Megan Likes, and I'm the, the founder of Bookkeeping Academy Online, where I educate and empower small business owners to know their numbers so they can live more financially rewarding lives. I also own Likes Accounting Company, which offers outsourced accounting services and virtual CFO services. So if you don't like doing the numbers, you can outsource it to somebody who does. Uh, it's literally in our name. We like accounting. Um, and I'm the owner of Jeff Likes Clean Windows and Gutters, uh, where we do gutter cleaning and window cleaning in Northern California. Uh, of the three businesses that I just mentioned, that one is definitely my favorite, uh, and I co-own that with my husband. Uh, and Mike, we're so happy to have you here. It's kind of fun to see you, you have your hand in a little bit of all of our areas. It's going to be a really fun to yeah. see. <laughs> That's awesome. And I am Michelle. Welcome to Fight Club. I co-own Pink Collars with my husband, Doug. And we put remote customer service rock stars in your business every day to run the front and back office. So if you want to outsource your customer service, that's something that we can absolutely help you with. And then I also own the Safe Distance Service Association, which helps you differentiate your business in this time of COVID and this new way that we're doing work. So welcome to Fight Club, Mike. We're happy to have you. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> And I'm Martha Woodward, and um, I am co-founder of Quality Driven Software, an employee accountability software, customer retention. And then I also teach people how to turn their culture around and go from a, oh, I can't stand my employees, to realizing the value of their employees and making it more self-directed, self-motivated. 
culture. So anyway, that's me. <laughs> and it works. <laughs> and it works. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's jump into some fun topics. I think I'm going to take you first, Mike, with some marketing stuff if you're ready. All right, Taylor, let's do it. All right. Okay. So um, ladies have got to, you know, we talked yesterday, we were kind of chit-chatting about, you know, what we were going to talk about today. And I wanted to really focus on your two different things, your 20 days to close and the email side of it. So realistically, kind of how you set up automations within, you know, the emails to make sure that it's still sounding like it's coming from the business owner. Because I think that's such a powerful you know, kind of tool that a lot of people don't really understand that that voice itself can completely change the way a customer looks at an email. Um, so I, I'd like to kind of talk about how you first came to that realization instead of doing, you know, really strict, you know, scripted long emails, how did you get to deciding, you know, let's, let's do this from the owner's perspective instead. Yeah, great question. So I think foundationally, uh, what we actually learned in the early days is uh, we went out to a company called Infusionsoft. That's the company we first started building our automation platforms on. And I was lucky enough to actually get the education from Infusionsoft's top marketers internationally, really, uh, of life cycle marketing. And life cycle marketing is, has its foundations of talking to your consumer, your potential consumer in the life cycle where they're at. So if you're looking at soft washing, pressure washing, home cleaning, lawn care is a really basic example. Um, we would actually go in and talk to them based on where they're at in the life cycle. And that started to create some aha moments. So we had a, a lead looking to buy, say, home cleaning. And then we had a lead that had um, basically needed an estimate for home cleaning. And then we had a lead that actually uh, has gotten this estimate, but needs to be closed. And then we had a, basically a new client that had either bought home cleaning or a new person that had like basically not bought home cleaning. But the idea was that the email marketing itself had to be particular where they're at in the actual customer life cycle. So it was it was automated, but personal. So if they were interested in a one-time clean or a recurring clean, you could actually go out and talk to the specific service where they're at in the life cycle. Uh, we used another product called Plus This. There's a lot of analytical ones, but that was one that pre pre predominantly tied into Infusionsoft, and we did A-B split test marketing. So in the early days, we'd have multi-paragraphs, um, logos, pictures, video, like pictures with uh, video links embedded in them. We tried everything, um, and it seems really stupid and obvious right now talking to you guys, but if it looked personal, it actually converted. If it looked automated, um, just like you're scrolling through your Facebook or Instagram uh, feed, like if you know it's an ad, like you kind of just tune it out and you keep going. Um, but once we started playing with it and actually looking at it, uh, when we made it personal to the specific service and where they're at in the customer lifecycle, we started to see some magic happen. So you mentioned 20 days to close. And one of the emails that we used in my company was the winner of about 12 to 15 versions of it, but it crushed. We actually still use it today with our clients at Simple Growth is it literally is plain text email. And it just says like, hey, Mrs. Smith, um, we dropped off your estimate or actually we were just checking in to see how your estimate is going. If you have any questions. Um, feel free to give me a shout back or write me an email. If you have any questions, let me know. But it was something to that effect, but it was really, it was just like, as if I was sitting there typing it and I actually included some, some typos in there. It looked like autocorrect. And at the bottom of the, the footer, we put in sent from my iPhone. Um, and that email today still closes about 20% of all the sales, even at Simple Growth, because people actually think I'm writing them an email at six to seven in the AM, two days after every estimate. So it's that personal 
um, email in the conversation as if you and I were actually talking uh, via non-automated script, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. And I think now I, I wonder, and I don't know if you, you'll have this answer, but have you seen a shift since COVID? I mean, I feel like people are craving personal interaction right now. I mean, we're all stuck in our homes. We're you know, really limited to the amount of things that we can do on a daily basis when it comes to social interaction. Have you seen a shift when, because I mean, obviously it was working prior to COVID. You said 20% close rate. I mean, that's an amazing close rate for an email. Has it shifted even more since then now that maybe that more personal touch is even attracting more of your customers? Um, it, it has. So email marketing isn't dead. If it's done the way we're talking about it, it still works. But where the next shift in buying habits around marketing right now that I'm seeing is called conversational marketing. So you've got your Netflix, your Ubers, um, like basically DoorDash, any of those things, they're, they're real-time buying decisions. And that's where an interaction, that's what today's consumer is demanding. So yes, they want it personal, they want it on demand, and they want it to happen on their time. So unfortunately, what's happening with a lot of service businesses, they're putting like a form on their website and literally you type in your information and then the business is going to get back to you when they feel it's appropriate and they have time for you. But literally, it's kind of like going in and buying a TV at like Best Buy right around the holidays. You go in, you've got a couple grand in your hand, you're ready to buy this TV or whatever it may be. It's a great deal. And you get to the register to buy it and there's a literally a clipboard with a form you fill out. So yes, people are want on-demand buying habits, but they um, also want to have somewhat of a personal uh, interaction. So what I recommend right now is that shift is combining your email marketing with chatbots on your website or social media. Mm. Um, so whether you're open, um, if you hit certain thresholds, your, your register is a warm or hot lead, it automatically will fire off and alert someone in your office to come in. So what that chatbot is doing is qualifying and getting the hottest and best leads to your marketing and sales team immediately. Um, but you, you know that people do want to interact with people, but they want to do it on their time in real time. Um, yeah. So even if you're closed at two, three in the morning, like my wife literally was like, what's going on? We were testing one of these bots. My phone like vibrated off my nightstand. She's like, are, are you sleeping around? Like what's going on? I'm like, no, it's a Facebook bot. It's, it's, but between 10 and like two in the morning, that's when people wanted to interact with us. So it, it set up um, the ability to have a conversation, qualify them and get an appointment set up for the next morning when we actually physically could talk to them. But you're right. People do want to talk to people. Absolutely. And I know I, I, we've talked about a lot too on this show, uh, Responsibid's ability to be able to help with that too for a lot of business owners. And we had it happen to us the other night. We had someone at 2 a.m., just like you're saying. I woke up the next morning. I was like, oh, hey, we have a, we have a new quote that we got to you know just make sure that they close on. So it's like they want to do it in their time and get it done in the most efficient fashion and still have it personal. So um, I could talk about this for a whole nother hour, but <laughs> I'll let, I'll kind of pass you on to Megan. Cause I know we kind of tied in together with our topics about what we were chatting with you about. So thanks so much, Mike, for answering yeah. my questions. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. Uh, Tay, was that responsive quote overnight? Is that what yeah. happened? Yeah. Responsive quote at 2 a.m. While you're sleeping or something. And Jeff, he wears the I make money while I sleep shirt because he loves <laughs> And when we're on remote vacations, that's like the best thing for him. Um, I wanted to talk to you. I'm going to take a little pivot with you, Mike, because I, I, I've, I've been impressed with how you deal with money, how you deal with numbers. And I feel like in home service, sometimes it's this big and scary thing, right? Uh, how much do I make? How much do I spend? How much do I need to make? So I've been impressed, especially with your way of looking at labor burdens and break-even points. So I thought maybe we could kind of focus on that today because I think that's a specialty of yours. 
Um, and so I thought if you could just talk generally about how important those two things are, and then we can talk specifically briefly about how to figure them out, like how to get there. What do you think? Yeah, so I, I guess uh, to kind of get into it just like right off the bat, uh, I, I think that a lot of business owners are scared and they're running their business by their bank account balance. So that's kind of the, the biggest scary thing that I see in the service industry right now. Um, so I guess not exactly where you want to tie in with labor and labor burden, but I think as, as, a, as a basis for a service business, no matter the industry, you really need to know what your revenue per man hour goal is and what your break even. And then that labor plus labor burden uh, is also going to dial into um, what it, you know, what you should be charging and what it costs you um, totally profit-wise break even before you make your net profit. Um, but I, I think that a lot of folks are kind of running blind. If they have X amount of dollars in the bank, then they're making money. Um, so kind of like, as I opened up the show here, uh, I can speak to that because I'm kind of a numbers geek, obviously pro self-professed. But uh, when I went through that time after that divorce, I knew at that time in the business, if I had a hundred grand in the bank, uh, liquid working capital, traditionally, we, that's about what we saw. We were making money. But unfortunately, and, and it was good at the same time, my office staff was so good at receivables that we were getting the money in before the bills. So it wasn't until November, December that we realized we were 70 grand upside down because we got away from tracking all the things that we should be tracking on a daily and monthly and quarterly basis. Uh, but I'm happy to tie, you know, depending where you want to go with the labor and labor. Burden. No, I think that's exactly what I meant. And maybe I asked it wrong, but the idea is when people are scheduling, they don't know how much to charge per man hour. And so they're guessing and they're charging too little. I see this a lot in lawn care. I also see it in maid service. I'm starting to see it in window cleaning. Um, and this is where technology can really help us, but technology is only as good as the data that you put into it, right? So if you're using a system that's helping you schedule and you don't have the right metrics in there, then you're going to be not covering your costs. You're going to be running upside down every day. And like you said, it could take months before you realize because you're out there hustling. Like you've got, you're working, you got guys working, you're bringing money into the bank, it feels great, but you didn't do the math right in the beginning. So it's like a foundational concept. So for me, I feel like I usually start with labor burden and then I add in a profit percentage and I work backwards. But okay. other way too, we can just set up, you know, some sort of, metric for how much money you want to make per hour and just try selling it right and then and I think like you and Tay were talking about to help you sell it better but um yeah let's if you don't mind just like how if somebody comes to you is like I don't know how much to charge per hour I don't, I, don't, I got no idea I feel right, like and a trick up your sleeve or two yeah so I, I think that the main thing uh no matter the industry you can use a, a single head recovery or a multiple overhead recovery system uh, more systems traditionally what I recommend for most service businesses and what we're going to do is we're going to tackle just like you said your labor so your labor and labor burden and figure out your projected hours you're working for the whole entire year with overtime on average how much we have next thing that I'm going to recommend is looking at your equipment so what is your overhead recovery for each piece of equipment and kind of build out and mock out your crews so you have a truck you have a trailer you have a lawnmower uh, if you're in a cleaning industry you've got potentially a cleaning vehicle a backpack uh, vacuum and some other supplies that are, are got overhead on them so you've got your labor your equipment and then uh, the final part is going to be your fixed general administrative costs and, and what you're going to do is once you want to walk through that whole process and create a projected budget for the year you're going to at the end you're going to have an hourly goal of what you want to charge for and what it's going to cost you break even but that's not enough in my opinion megan so when most people go out and they hire an industry consultant or you know obviously like yourself getting these numbers they don't put the numbers into play so it's not enough just to know your numbers 
you need to almost have like a sticky note on the side of the office. So Christine in my office, when she scheduled new for a fertilization crew that had one person, she needed to bill between a thousand and twelve hundred dollars a day and X amount of budgeted hours. So you need to know what's your goal for each day, how much revenue, how many budgeted hours that you're going to do in that day. And you need to route to that. And then the other silent killer, if you haven't figured it in your total budgeted hours is that non-billable drive time because um, mm -hmm. that can erode profit. So uh, cleaning industry, I re, I, I, from what I uh, remember is around 19 to 20% net is an industry average for residential cleaning. Um, lawn care, believe it or not, is about four to six. I'm not sure on pressure washing and soft washing, but those, those can be paper thin margins when you're not looking at the numbers and actually building route density and tracking that non-billable time. And then my favorite, Meg, is, is, is the Wendy's frosty effect. So it's a hot day. You got the guys out there power washing or cleaning the gutters and I'll be damned. I'm driving halfway around town for that, that, that Wendy's frosty, but they don't realize is that extra drive time of literally five minutes there, five minutes in the drive through and back times a two man crew. I mean, that could be 30 minutes of non-billable overtime times, maybe a 30 or $40 break even. Um, you do that a couple times a week, you're eroding those bottom line profits and it's a silent killer. Absolutely. Oh, I love the way you that's just a good one. I never thought about the frosty effect. And that's why my husband delivers the slushies to the job site so that they don't waste the 30 minutes. Now don't cost per hour because we just that's not a thing. Um, that's helpful. That's really, really helpful. That's awesome. Um, I took a couple notes in the chat if you need to go back and revisit that. But it's not just knowing your numbers, it's plugging them in and using them to make better decisions. And, um, and I love that you've got some really simple ways to help people figure those out, like to cut that down. And, and it's not in QuickBooks necessarily, it's just looking at big numbers and saying big scary words like a budget. But you yeah, and, and, and Martha knows, I mean, she's the queen of public accountability, but we had a big dry erase board in the shop and we, we didn't show how many hours they were budgeted for. We did as a non-emotional percentage. So it was apples to apples. But when you have that public accountability with Martha's quality score on there, it all kind of came together and you, you ended up getting the right people. Um, and if you couldn't coach them up, you coached them out. But it, it was a real cut and dry situation of who was going to produce and who wasn't. Um, and that's, that's, I think that the next part is accountability. You've got to have some accountability for not only your team members, but maybe a Monday huddle for the, the manager, or even if you're a solo entrepreneur of yourself is a gut check time. You can't live in that trench all day because by the time you get to November, December, it's too late. Right, I love it. Okay, I mean, Michelle, I know she's so excited about all things automations and systems and yeah, she's, she's on a real kick right now in a good way. I, <laughs> I'm excited to be here. Um, so Mike, I know with uh, the 20 days to close automations, you always make sure that not only is technology a part of the sequence, but the human factor is a really big part of the sequence. And I know for the customers that we work with, having those reminders for our team to call customers or call on unclosed work or do these things has been a game changer. What are you seeing in terms of percentage of closing when people follow up? Are you seeing something sort of industry specific um, that we could talk about? Because I really feel like follow-up is the golden nugget that a lot of people just aren't quite able to do. Yeah, so some ballpark stats is 80% of all the sales are made on five or more touches. Um, so just like Taylor said, like email marketing is great, um, but you touched on the big one. Nobody wants to make phone calls. So I think the secret sauce is <laughs> at least five or more touches. They need to be personalized, but somewhat automated. But 
even in 20 days to close. We're doing it across three different mediums. You're doing automated email, automated text messaging, SMS, and yes, phone calls. Phone calls, like nobody wants to make them. But if you've got a you know professional like Pink Collars doing this, it's great because it it provides, no matter the CRM, wherever you're at, the customer relationship management software, it's going to have a, basically a call script. Like, hey, call Mrs. Smith. Um, here's the call script. It's been three days since we dropped off her estimate. Here's what to say. If she says the price is too high, here's some call script to overcome the price and sales objection. So we standardize that sales process. And then in the bottom of it, it literally says, based on the software, if they become a client, do this in the software. If they don't become a client, do this in the software. If she says, I'm not sure if I'm going to hire you or not, do this in the software. So we've created a predictable yeah. workflow that can be delegated to a virtual assistant halfway across the world or an internal office. Um, but at the secret sauce is as we started going through in my company, Callahan's eight or nine years ago is, you know, those stats are pretty true. Like you've got to follow up five or more times to, to win those sales. So a lot of times, especially in lawn care, uh, everybody's like, oh, the low baller down the street is, you know, they're, they're getting all the work because they're not charging enough. Well, is it possible maybe that low baller down the street really isn't a low baller? They're just showing up to the table each and every time consistently five or more times. And the secret sauce, like I said, is, yeah. is the multiple communication channels, that email, text messaging, phone call. And if you can't do a phone call, you tie into a product like Send Gym or there's several other ones out there, you do a ringless voicemail bomb. But it's just this really kind of like clunky voicemail, like, hey, it's Mike from Callahan. So sorry I missed you. Wanted to leave you this voicemail about the estimate we dropped off three days ago. And that timing is identical because the automation. So it's personal. And yeah. literally, call me back if you ask some questions or you know, um, feel free to accept that online estimate. But you're right. You have to continually follow up and you do it in different mediums. Um, so if somebody's driving down the road and you leave them, you shoot them an email and they don't have time to call back. And then the next day you hit them with a text message. Maybe they like to communicate via text and they don't want to talk to you. Yeah. Um, so yeah. you hit all the channels. And if you can mix in Facebook Messenger as well, if you already have them in your ecosystem, that's another channel that I feel right now is being really uh, well adapted with folks. I, I agree. We just set up Facebook Messenger for a client of ours in Slack, and it enables us to manage those messages in Slack. And I, we're trying to add a bot as well. So I'm on your list, I promise. Um, but I love the fact that having that ability to connect with them on Facebook Messenger is massive. Um, and outsourcing that to someone else is really helpful because not every owner is signed into Facebook and email and text messaging all at the same time. And so to be able to manage that is, is awesome. Yeah. Um, and I don't think they want to be dialed in it. That's something that a virtual assistant or an office should be handling. And if, absolutely. if, and when it's appropriate, you escalate it to that salesperson or the man or the owner, if they're the salesperson. Sure. Um, other thing just to be careful too, is I think it was April this year, Facebook put out some new uh, rules and it's a constantly moving target. But uh, if you're using an automated platform in Messenger, you have a 24-hour mm -hmm. window. If you go past that and do like a one-to-many email blast almost on Messenger, hmm. you can get dinged and get your, your page shut down. So um, there's certain time limits you, you definitely want to be aware of. Um, the product that we traditionally recommend and the one we build on is called ManyChat, M-A-N-Y Chat. Yeah. Um, we've become agency partners with them and that communication with them has been really good because they keep us updated on the new rules because they, they change daily, if not weekly. That's awesome. So talking of tech, you use ManyChat, and I know that you build all of your automations on Infusionsoft. What other sort of technology are you seeing emerge out there in home service industry that people should kind of have their radar up for? Um, I, I think the automation part right now is working really well. It's still, it's not bleeding edge, but it's service industry is behind the scenes. It's, it's still cutting edge. 
Yeah. Um, and compiling that with those real-time um, bots and conversational marketing is really, uh, I think, really effective. Uh, one of the people in the cleaning industry we've been working with a lot lately is Debbie Sardone. And, and Debbie uh, is kind of the per picture-perfect model for some of the stuff that we've done because we've seen she's adopted all these technologies. And the combination of all of them, are, are, it's a synergy. It's, it's this compiling effect. Uh, yeah. Very similar to what we did at Callahan's Lawn Care. I mean, we were selling snow removal in lawn care through these bots five or six years ago. Um, but be able to tie them in through an API to Zillow or another property management uh, software like real estate that pulls in the livable square footage for a home for cleaning or the lot square footage. Um, yeah. I think those are the two plays right now. Uh, Kurt over at Response Bid's got a great product as well um, yeah. that does a lot of that as well. So, I mean, I think that that's kind of the focus right now. I'm, I'm always looking for the next technology shift. And I haven't, <laughs> at least in my opinion, I haven't necessarily seen the next massive shift for the service industry. Uh, but if you're adopting those two things right now, uh, you're going to be crushing your competition because yeah. most cleaning and lawn care companies aren't, aren't doing what uh, the select few in these ecosystems watching just like Fight Club are. Yeah. And you, you'll set up some of those things for people, correct? Yeah. So uh, obviously we're really focused on teaching people how to do these things. Yeah. Um, but if people don't know how to do it, obviously we're here. But the way our approach to it is a little bit different. It's a done for you model. So just say like in home cleaning or lawn care, we have industry specific marketing content, mm -hmm. but just with our sales automations, they come with about 130 to 140 marketing documents, pre-written, I'm going to say vanilla content yeah. um, that you can customize. But obviously as business owners, nobody wants to go in and write 140 to 130 marketing documents no. between text, email, and call scripts. Um, so we give them a good starting platform and then um, we manage it and support it. So they run their business, we run the automations and when it should work, it works the way it should. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, cool. I'm going to pass you on to Martha. Thank you, Mike. I love it. <laughs> all right, Mike. Um, all right. So I'm all things employee related and I did not prepare you for this ahead of time, but I want to spring it on you and ask you when you were running your lawn and landscape business, what, what do you think was your most unique employee culture related thing that you did at your business? Uh, well, I'm going to be honest, right off the bat, uh, every business has a culture, but I didn't really feel like we had a culture or the right culture. Uh, so kind of one, once again, I kind of flew back to Arizona and um, went into a, uh, a group uh, called Elite Momentum and then Elite Forum. And that actually helped us um, and the gentleman running the business at that time create uh, kind of that mission vision values. Um, and then be able to institute that back into the business. So I think that's when things started to change. So the company picnics and things like that, um, you know, were great uh, for culture. But I think what really dove in was actually looking at um, some of the, like the core values and things that we had. And basically, like one of the things that we it resonated with a lot of the guys and girls working for us was. Uh, right around Veterans Day, we would actually give away snow plowing to a veteran, a uh, current or, you know, retired veteran. And uh, we made a video of it, of us giving snow plowing away to a 92, 93-year-old uh, couple, husband and wife, they met in like World War II, cute, choose a button, but we gave it to them. And that video locally kind of went viral, but we started to take pieces of what we believed in and giving back. Um, and we, in, we put that into our hiring process, and then we uh -huh. continued to reinforce it. So that seemed to be the shift because when we were bringing people in, especially with the millennial workers, 
our pay was great, but what we literally were providing is just a paycheck. There was nothing that people bought into. Right. Uh, but when we actually started making the uh, applications and the, the job, um, like on job, or, or I mean, um, like indeed in that, the actual postings focused around culture, we started a, a completely different person. So I don't know if it really answers the question, but that was a shift because we went from a really different type of employee. Um, and one of the things we really defined from that process in Arizona was we wanted to give our customers the lifestyle they desired so they could have a landscape they didn't have to worry about. They could go to their kid's baseball game or ballet class or whatever. But we also thought it was twofold. We wanted to give our employees the lifestyle they desired. So yeah. with our piece rate pay system, if you only wanted to you know, have eight budgeted hours, and that was the minimum we had to budget for that day based on the accounting like Megan's talking about, that's great. But if your goal was to make as much money as possible in the summer, we would go out and, and build route density. And, and you, maybe you're budgeted for 12 or 10 hours, but you get paid for 12. So we gave yeah. them the lifestyle they desired. And then when we really started focusing on our employees, um, that, that was a shift. So I don't know if it really answers the question, but that was instrumental with us. Um, and the issue is one of the guys that was, we had multiple guys that ran the business um, before I really became a total absentee owner of it. Um, it was interesting that we had to standardize our culture and how we indoctrinated them because our culture started to look like the guy running the business and not what we actually had built either. Yeah. No, I love that. And it, I think that's interesting that you realized something was broken that you, yes, you have, everybody has a culture, like you say, but you realized your culture wasn't what you wanted it to be. You invested time and money to figure out how could you build the culture the way you wanted it to look. And then, um, and I do think that uh, many, you know, people really bad mouth millennials, but one thing that I've read about millennials is that they have, they, they really want to be behind a cause. And, um, and, you know, I see that with my own kids and definitely that was a smart move in bringing your core values. I mean, we always talk about that, but how cool to tie it to like that veteran and how impactful that is and people get behind that stuff and i bet when you did that you pulled in a lot of employees just from that type of award to the veteran and his wife because and it wasn't like, your traditional lawn care employee and i don't want to like peg a traditional lawn care employee but it wasn't it wasn't the people we saw in the normal interviews it was just a different quality person yeah. that interacted differently um, and they had different backgrounds. And it, it really, the problem was we were getting one to maybe two seasons, especially in the Northeast, if people didn't want to plow. I mean, yeah. these were guys and girls we loved. They would start, you know, March and April and go through October, November, December, depending how early the snow hit. And we would have to recreate that whole entire bench every year. So finally it got to a point where I kind of jumped back in and said, as they're exiting with the interview, I'm like, hey, um, you know, can I ask you a few just candid questions? Like you, you're not going to offend me. You're like, sure. What's up? I'm like, Hey, are you leaving? Because you know, is the company okay? No, the company's okay. That's it's okay. Like, is the guy running the business? Okay. Like, is that the issue? Like, ah, he's all right. We don't love him. We don't hate him, but he's okay. I'm like, how's the pay? Is that, that's gotta be the issue. It's pay. You're leaving. I'm like, no, we're, we're making as much money here, if not more here, but that's all it is. Is one, like one of the last ones like, wow, 
we need to fix this. So I mean, we dropped close to 25 grand flying out there back and forth quarterly to figure this out. Um, but it wasn't enough just to, to do it. We had to reinforce it once we had them in there. Um, yeah. Kind of Greg, like Greg Collins is good to great. Yeah, have the right people in the right seats on the bus. So you may have the best cleaning technician. You may have the best lawnmower, um, but they may not be the best person in your business and your culture. And you've got to have that fit. And that's something that, um, it's been tough even in, in both businesses, even simple growth that, you know, um, you, you've got to have a good cultural fit and you got to be slow to hire and quick to fire. So either you coach them up or you coach them out because uh, you know, those, those hires, at least in Callahan's, we found were um, four to five times more expensive than their actual uh, paycheck. So we were looking at literally, you know, obviously the fixed cost of hiring, training and onboarding learning curve. What we were talking about damage to people's houses and their equipment the low morale, your A players started to literally either become C or B players or leave. Um, and we were taking the core that we had built um, and literally just self-destructing it. So it was a two to three year period that um, we had to just fix it because it, as we got to 15, 20, 30 employees, that it, it exponentially got worse. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. That's hmm. great. <laughs> Um, my cat it back to you, Tay. Gosh, it feels I don't know what happened over the last week, but it's like I forgot what we're supposed to do. <laughs> We've only been doing this for like six months, you know, no big deal. Yeah. Well, yes, yeah, so we're going back, we're gonna circle back for homework. So, uh, Mike, you can feel free. Um, if you want to give homework, we always open that to our guests as well, but we just like to be able to hold all of our um, viewers and members in our group accountable to what we talk about on this show. and. For the marketing side of it, you gave some really great, great details and information about how to not only be personal, but also do it in a simplistic format that still makes it seem like it's coming from the business owner, which I think is amazing. So I'm asking everyone if marketing is on your agenda this week, take a look at your email marketing and your automations for your, the sales side of things. So we're not talking about, you know, going out and doing a, an email blast. We're actually talking about the automation behind your sales process. So if you don't even have that in place, then let's start there. But if you do have it in place, let's go ahead and take a look at your emails that you're sending out and make them a little bit more personalized. Simplify them, make it seem as are coming from you as a business owner to really add that personal touch to it. Awesome. I love it. Um, I'm trying to frantically take notes and I'm like, ah, okay, marketing, got it. Okay. Uh, finance homework. I think I'm going to say, uh, if you don't know what your target per man hour billable number is, you need to figure it out. Uh, I think that that's just a really important starting point. We gave you some good tips about working backwards. Um, and then I feel like I often talk to people and Mike, I'm curious if this happens to you too, but they're so afraid to choose a number. Like, is it 50? Is it 55? Is it 45? Is it 60? And I'm like, well, why don't we just try one? Like, I know I'm kind of like CPAs aren't supposed to be willy nilly, but I'm like, <laughs> you're going to have this much anxiety over it. Why don't you just choose a number and try and sell it and then use your conversion rate to figure out if you were close or not. Um, so I'm going to encourage you to try and figure out that number. Um, please take into account the drive time and the frosty effect because those are very real things in your business. Um, and yeah, that's going to be my homework for you this week in finance. Mike, Love do it. you want to throw homework in or? Yeah, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump right in the back end of uh, Megan's homework there. I think that as you're figuring out your dollar per man hour and the revenue per man hour rate that you're desired to get, 
um, make sure that you don't forget to include the business owner's salary at market value. Because that's one of the biggest things I see that people come in and I'm making 50 or 60% profit. And we're crushing it. I'm like, okay, like I'll, I'll preface it. We do not do financial consulting anymore. That's not a game we get into. But um, a lot of times the job costing and the estimate production rate-based estimating always comes back to the numbers. Um, so sometimes we do have to take a quick look at it. But a lot of times business owners assume that if they're out in the field doing work, they shouldn't have to charge for their, 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 their labor. Um, so they should. So if you're out in the field still, you should be including and billing appropriate hourly rates for yourself. So figure out what a market uh, appropriate wage is. And then Magna would probably be best, but maybe above that you pull a distribution. But if you ever were hit by a bus and you couldn't work for the next year, do you have it in your budget in that hourly rate to replace yourself for the next six to 12 months and still have a, a, a good profit margin to, to go into. So I would say homework today is to make sure your hourly rate includes your at least a minimal industry standard, uh, what it would take to replace yourself. Awesome. Good, good, good stuff. And my homework is to check out MiniChat. I actually use a chat service and it's not MiniChat. So I'm gonna do my own homework um, and check this one out because I think this one looks really good. I was on the website just perusing. Um, and then I'm also going to put a link to Mike Callahan's site. And if you have any questions or you want to get an automation set up, I'm going to have you guys reach out to him as well. Because this mini chat I've heard from a couple people is pretty awesome. So I'm going to have people check it out this week. Thanks, Michelle. Appreciate it. And we're, we're industry specific. So whether it's lawn care, home cleaning, pest control, soft washing, crusher washing, we, we build it personalized, just like Taylor was talking, particular you know. to that industry. I love it. Perfect. Love it. And my homework, um, if you guys followed Fight Club last week at all, when we were in Breckenridge, <laughs> we came up with the core values for our retreat. Like what was important to us? And uh, we use Liz Trotter's core value cards to come up with that. Uh, don't ever get Tay involved <laughs> in coming up. Oh my with God. So bad. I knew so bad. I was gonna get thrown under we the had bus. like 15 values for uh but I uh, include everyone, everyone in my values. Love it. I'm gonna put in the thread, I'm gonna put the link to buy those core value cards. Um I think they're like $20 or something, but they're great. You can you can do an exercise with your management staff to come up with your core values if you haven't done that. And then the really cool part is when you're interviewing, you do a modified exercise with your applicant and see if their core values match your core values. And, you know, they're not going to match exactly, but you get a sense of what they stand for and does it fit with your culture. So that's going to be your homework. Love it. Love it. Great oh, advice, okay. Martha, too. And the positive thing is none of us are having to speak after Liz Trotter on stage today. So that's, yeah. a, that's a bonus for myself, at least. Uh, love, love some Liz Trotter, but man, yeah. she can rip on stage. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of the retreat, I have really been building out our well, what's my homework to provide for you all at the retreat. And so I've got my 52 weeks of onboarding for new a new employees 
So you increase your employee engagement. And then I started adding things that I didn't promise, like there's going to be an activity of the month, a contest of the month, all those things that I love in my own company. And uh, that's going to be part of your one year onboarding. And then it just gives you a good kickstart and you can carry on. Love it. Love, love, love it. <laughs> Uh, and we're doing a budget at the retreat. So if you need help figuring out those numbers that Mike was just spouting off, that's what we're going to do the retreat. We're going to figure out the budget. So, uh, Michelle, I did drop a quote of the week in there. Did you see it? Oh, you did. Oh, I'm sorry. I did not. No. I'm as bad as Martha. We're just not, not knowing what's going on, but it's from our friend Bill Gates. And it is the first rule of any technology used in a business is that automation applied to an efficient operation will magnify the efficiency. So true. And the second is that automation applied to an inefficient operation will also magnify the inefficiency. Good, mm -hmm. good words from him today. Thank you all mm -hmm. so much for joining us in the Fight Club. <laughs> Bye. Bye. And thank you Mike, for coming. It was good having you. Yeah, it was Thanks awesome. For Mike. Thanks for joining Bye. us. Finally, a flight, flight club I can talk about. Thank you, ladies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Next week, Tuesday, 10 a.m. Eastern, uh, 7 a.m. Pacific. Connect with Fight Club for Business. Join our Facebook group where we have weekly homework, accountabilities, and an awesome community to help you fight for your business. Facebook.com slash Fight Club for, as in the number four, business. Fight Club for Business.